Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. This episode features Loi Hollowell. She currently lives and works in New York City. Loi received a BFA at University of California, Santa Barbara, and an MFA in painting from Virginia Commonwealth University. It's been exhibited at museums and galleries worldwide, including Jan Schrem and Maria Manetti Schrem Museum of Art, University of California, Davis, Pace Gallery, White Cube Gallery, Paris, the Hirshhorn Museum and Sculpture Garden, LACMA, the Flag Art Foundation in New York, Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art, Victoria Miro in London, to name a few. Her work is in public collections, including the Albertina Museum in Vienna, Crystal Bridges Museum of Art, the Hirshhorn Museum and Sculpture Garden, ICA Miami, Long Museum, Shanghai, to name a few. Her work has been featured in W Magazine, Art Forum, The Brooklyn Rail, The New York Times, Wallpaper, Vanity Fair, and many others. Please visit CerebralWomen.com for her expanded bio and enjoy this episode featuring abstract painter Loi Hollowell. Loi, welcome to my podcast. I'm excited to feature you. I'm excited to be here. When did you discover your artistic passion? Well, my dad is a painter, and my mom's also a very creative person. So I'm pretty sure I wanted to be some kind of artist at an early age, but it was kind of always on the, on the side because it was being a veterinarian, a small animal veterinarian that I really wanted to be up until I was about 16 and started really spending more time in art classes in high school. And I realized I wanted to do performance art and kind of have a, like a real feminist angle to my practice because I wanted to be in opposition to my dad who was making figurative paintings of my mom nude. And I thought, I, I can't be a painter because it's just feels so masculine, but a performance artist, a feminist, I was obsessed, got obsessed with Anna Mendieta. And um, so that kind of did performance stuff all through undergrad. And then towards the undergrad started painting and really focused on painting after getting out of undergrad and moving back in with my parents and having my dad come into my studio and give me critiques. And most of them were wanted, but it just led me into this world of thinking about painting as this transportive place in which you could kind of 
talk about anything. Like if I wanted to deal with the same subject matter that I was dealing with, with my performance stuff, I could do that in painting. And my dad really shaped my language and helped me understand, you know, how to dive into form and color and texture and space and get and achieve the kinds of conversations I wanted to have with paint. How would you define your practice? That's a good question. I'm definitely a painter and a drawer. I call myself a wrist painter because even when I make larger work, larger paintings, I'm using my wrist. I'm like a foot away from the painting and stepping back and forth constantly, not doing huge gestures, but the the kind of swirling technique that I've used to blend, you know, wet on wet has been kind of consistent throughout the kind of painting that people know me for. Um, I would say since I've started building up my surfaces of my paintings, I, I think I like them to be like bas relief paintings. But I mean, there's some, been so many people that build up the surfaces of their paintings, and I think they call them painting. Like Gina Beavers builds her surface, and Jasper Johns has so much stuff on his surface, and Rauschenberg, and I, you know, everyone's putting stuff on painting surfaces. So I think I'm just a painter. When you're working, do you think about who your audience is and wonder whether or not they understand your work? I think about the audience a lot because I really want to make work that can be for everyone. And I think that's why I, I use color as a character in my work. And by that, I mean, I just want people to like dive into a kind of transportive color space, reds and yellows and saturated pigments or, you know, juxtaposed to deep hues and kind of, or, you know, right next to some bright, some bright whites. And I really want the viewer to kind of dive into the visuals of it, the kind of phenomenological space of the painting before they really start to have to deal with any kind of figuration or abstraction of figuration that you would find, you know, upon closer observation. So I do think about the audience and I, I, I like hearing from all different types of people, hearing what they think about the work and what they get out of it. Or you know, if they don't get anything at all, that's really interesting too, because everyone sees different things in the paintings. Are there concepts or thoughts that connect your work? Well, the work has always come from the experience of being in my body, which is a you know white cisgendered body that's now given birth twice and breastfed. And the practice that I, I feel like people know me for now really started in 2013 after I had an abortion. And that experience was so like, liberating, but also painful physically and emotionally in a way that I realized I needed to start making paintings about that experience. And before that, coming out of grad school, I was making figurative, pretty fig- like cartoony figurative paintings of landscapes and um, portraits of like me and my ex, not ex at the time, but now ex. Yeah, so they're all figurative. And so I just started using abstraction to make paintings about that experience of the abortion. 
and draw, drawings and paintings. And that's kind of really been the driving force for all of my work was like this body that I'm in takes me through cycles every month and mentally and physically, you know, as in a female body, you're shedding your uterus or, you know, the lining of your uterus every month. And also the kind of sexual experiences I have, I like putting that in my work as well. And yeah, it's just all in a way it's abstract self-portraits of the interior space of my reproductive parts. Do you recall the process of, you know, the cerebral journey that you took to transition from figurative to abstraction? I remember it very clearly. What was the term you just used? Cerebral process? Cerebral process. So I don't know, is this cerebral? I I stopped looking in grad school. I was really obsessed with Henri Rousseau and Picasso. I was like, (laughs) I just was looking at these guys, these dudes, and making figurative paintings kind of in this style. And the experience of having the abortion made me realize I, I wanted to look at women artists and be influenced by women artists and actually start referencing their work quite directly, which I'd done in my performance work in undergrad with different, you know, female performance artists from the sixties and seventies. But anyways, I realized I, I had such a, a wealth of information I could learn from George O'Keefe and Judy Chicago, Agnes Pelton. And so I really just started looking at their work as a guide to help me figure out how to abstract my body from, you know, figurative self-portraiture to abstract internal kind of emotional self-portraiture. So that I guess the cerebral journey was really conceptualizing my lineage and my, and kind of reshifting my influence, my influences. I don't know if that was cerebral, but it felt very conscious. I mean, it was very conscious. It was a very conscious decision. When do you know that a work is finished? It's pretty clear for me. I start most of my paintings or drawings first. And if they're not pastel and paper drawings, they're on my iPad. I do a ton of preliminary sketches on my iPad. So I have to work out the drawing because the process of building up the paintings takes so long you know, the sculptural element that I have to have the form very much set. But when it comes to the drawing, I do do different variations, different color, kind of color combinations, a few like structural changes. And then when it, when I finally start with the painting, there's, there's like some room for changing color. And that does happen in the painting, but my process is very, staged staged i actually haven't really come up with a word for how my process is it feels very like um controlled consistent I, it's it's is it is very consistent and controlled and i think that's just also a product of me needing that outside of my brain because i have a very like chaotic stressed kind of bipolar Yes, being like on the bipolar <laughs> spectrum, I, I really do like control. 
in the studio. So it, it helps me be stay sane, having that kind of like one thing leads to the next, leads to the next, knowing when something's finished. And do you listen to music while you're working? I have recently. I started listening to music recently because I I'm, I've gone down this path of being convinced that the, the that everything's giving us brain cancer. I don't know why. I don't know what happened. I just I I go through these kind of obsessive stages where I'm like, you know, the phone's giving me brain cancer. The earbuds that are giving AirPods are giving me brain cancer. So I I got speakers recently and have been listening to music because before that I would just listen to all my podcasts on in my headphones. And I, I do have a studio assistant a few days a week. So I feel like, like it's not fair for me to like blast my music and make them listen to it. <laughs> so I was, I've always have my, we'd all have our, you know, headphones in, but anyways, recently I've been listening to music and it's really nice, but I listen to everything. The other day I was listening to women of country, Spotify's women of country. The day before that I was listening to Chinese gong music. Anyways, I'll just send me, send me recommendations. I'll listen to anything. If you weren't a painter, what other profession do you think you would have chosen? Well, like I was saying to you earlier, I would be a small animal veterinarian. UC Davis, where I grew up, where my dad was a professor, has a very good veterinary program, for, mostly for agriculture, you know, large animals. Also for small animals, and I was obsessed with dogs. My High school job was a dog groomer assistant. I wanted to be a small animal veterinarian. How do you keep learning? How do I keep learning? Well, having kids has been really, maybe you agree with this, but having kids has really expanded my inquisitiveness. And with regards to like making art and learning new things about your practice, I think it's been really important to try to keep the sales aspect out of the studio as much as possible and like really not think of what you're doing as having any kind of dollar amount attached to it. I'm sure lots of people have said that, but it's just trying to stay open in the studio, open to like making stuff that's really ugly. What are you excited about right now? What am I excited about right now? I mean, I'm so excited that the Aldrich Museum has given me the opportunity to do a show there. We just finished install yesterday. I think it looks really good. I was very nervous. And um, I'm so thankful that the collectors we asked were willing to loan. It was like a whole new process for me. I've never gotten the opportunity to work at this like level of a museum before it feels so special. I did, you know, do a show at UC Davis last year and that was really amazing as well. But um, getting the opportunity to do museum shows is new for me. And I'm very, very excited about that. It's been great getting to know Jessica Silverman and her partner, Sarah Thornton, who, you know, Jessica Silverman Gallery in San Francisco and getting to work with them and go, go out there and visit my family while I spend time with the gallery out there has been really nice. I'm making some new paintings that are six by eight feet. 
the will be the biggest paintings I've ever made. And they have concave and convex elements in them. So there's actual space carved into the surface of the painting and space coming out of the surface. And those are going to be, well, I don't know how they're going to turn out, but I'm excited to work on a larger scale. What materials are you using in the work? These pizzas are all wood panels, linen stretched on top of that. My husband is a very skilled sculptor, kind of knows, he's like a materials genius. So he's really helps me fabricate everything. And he, he does it for me. <laughs> he's, he's really is, it should be like a Lowy Howell and Brian Gabberly. That's how I should list all the work because he really has his hand on every painting. But he's milled foam, a high-density foam that's used in signage, like outdoor signage. So it's, it's not going to degrade over time. It's very archival. And that is glued onto the panel. And then we put some gel medium, which is like an acrylic golden product that's a thick kind of gesso over that to kind of seal everything together. And then I paint on top of that. That's been the majority of the work I've made for the past seven years has been with this high density blue foam. And then recently I've also been doing these body casts, which you'll see at the Jessica Silverman show in San Francisco. And that's, those are actual casts from a mold made out of uh, the casts are made out of aqua resin and glued to the surface of the painting. Aqua resin is like a kind of a plaster form, like a softer, softer, this is where Brian needs to come in because he's, he's the material genius, but it's basically plaster, a more archival plaster. And what's your process of choosing color? Color is all, it's with each painting, it, come, it, it has to be thought of anew with each composition and each painting. There's no, I have no color theory around the work. I mean, I just have kind of emotional relationships to each color within each painting based on what it's representing within the painting. Like blue doesn't always have to be heavy. Sometimes blue is really light and airy, like peaceful. Well, blue is always peaceful, actually. But I'm just kind of thinking about, <laughs> like if, I could, if there's any kind of consistency to how I choose color. But it has to be created anew for each piece. And each, and each like I'll start with, kind of a central element in a composition like in these recent paintings I've been making with bellies with pregnant third trimester bellies cast onto the surfaces like I'll start with the color of the belly like I I know the feeling of this stage of labor that I want to reference in the painting and all the color that comes out from that on the flat surface of the painting is in relationship to the one color that I know has to be there which is the form of the belly. So I'll, I'll kind of like start with knowing one element and then each thing is in relationship to that one piece that is set. What do you enjoy most about being a visual artist? The list could go on and on. I, I feel like it's insane to be able to be in the studio and just to get to talk to you that you would even be interested to talk to me about my practice. That's insane. Like it feels so <laughs> insanely lucky that I get to work in the studio and, and have people like you want to talk to me about art. I guess that's it. Like, I, you know, I worked 
for a long time without not, I don't want to say a long time without recognition because there are so many women that worked their whole lives without recognition, but I did work for a while without recognition. And it was the process of making art is always the same when you, when you take the outside world out of it, whether you're, you know, whether you have gallery representation or not, that love of, of just being with the work, being in front of a canvas and giving yourself this block of time to just experiment has always been there. But I think as of recent, you know, with, with having the help of the gallery, it's just like, I get to go to the studio full time and make paintings and drawings. And I, there's like no better job. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's great. Is that, does that sound super narcissistic? I, I don't know. I feel like, like it's a, dr- it's a dream. It's a dream. And I feel very, very, very privileged. I've enjoyed this conversation very much. And this is actually our last question. What do you feel is the purpose of art? And as an artist, what is your role? I'll start with my role. And that's for me. And I, this isn't for everyone, but I'll speak for myself. My role is to be true to myself and to really question my work and and not in a conceptual way, but in a formal way. What is this line doing? What is this color doing? How is it impacting me physically and emotionally? Like what, how can I make this painting better? How can I make the next one better to like dig in to the essential practices of what the, the essential elements of what painting can do is my, my role, my job as an artist, my job is to really dig in and question. I know I keep saying question and question and question, but what is the role of art I would hope that it helps people shine a mirror on their own experience and allows them to process their own lived experience through what they're looking at. Even if the artist themselves was very different from them, we get the opportunity to experience ourselves in a new way. And I think for me, the best art is one that allows me to to question who I am and what I am and what I do in the world. And not in like a, in a negative way, but like brings me in and gives me space to think about all these kind of grand questions of what it means to be alive. (laughs) It sounds so cheesy, but like, I just feel like good art is both phenomenologically transportive and, conceptually transportive and and when you get those two things together the visual and the conceptual that just kind of perfectly has this this perfect concoction of the two i think that's that's where the real power of art explodes and you know anyone can go and experience can go and experience it and have their own emotional journey thank you so much this was a great interview Appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. You're amazing. 
Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.